Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're here with another episode talking all things movies. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. With me as always are my co-hosts, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. We're here to talk movies, but we always like to start out by talking a little bit of sports because we're big sports fans. Um, Todd, what is your biggest surprise of the football season so far? I think the biggest surprise is that uh, the Wisconsin Badgers are the best team in the country. They have four shutouts, uh, which is more than any team has ever had through their first six games. And I don't see how anybody is going to stop them. They can they manhandle everybody. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of mine, too. Is Yeah, Wisconsin is insane right now. Um, and yeah, legit could be one of the best teams in the country. Because uh, 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 our boy Jim Leonard former uh safety is their defensive coordinator and he like he's just calling an insane insane defense right now yeah he it, it, it's insane right now uh zach what about you well i have a few surprises one surprise is that i haven't watched a single college football game since oregon lost to auburn uh <laughs> i don't think sur- that's a surprise Okay, maybe that's not a surprise. I mean, you do also, live in Lawrence, Kansas. However, they've actually like won a legit actually, game this year. No, I, I guess I did watch the first half of Kansas, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I guess uh, what I would say the no here. Okay, here it is. Biggest surprise so far when Kansas scored forty-eight points against Boston College. However, At Boston College. The reason that happened was because of my fantasy college team. I started the Boston College defense. That's the reason it happened. You actually have a fantasy college team? Like, you didn't get my league. I do. Damn it. Uh, no, I joined a public league because your league fall, fl- floundered. Okay, that's another surprise. Todd's fantasy college league floundered because there wasn't enough members. Although, was that really a surprise? I don't know. Well, I ended up in a co- in a public league, too. We should have just I'm in a public league. One. God damn it. Why aren't we in the same league? I ended up <sighs> just not doing a league because because the one failed, and now I feel left out. Um, I would yeah. say my my biggest surprise. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking college, I mean Wisconsin's a good one. But also, you have who you have Baylor undefeated. You have Minnesota undefeated. You have SMU undefeated. You have Appalachian State undefeated. That are all in the top twenty-five. I, I think that's that's a little crazy. Um, NFL. How in the world are the 49ers undefeated and this good? I mean... The, they haven't the, played anybody. Yeah, but, I mean, just, like, you you get... It, does Jimmy Garoppolo make that much of a difference that they take a team that can, you know, the double-digit loss team last year to uh, to being undefeated so far this year? And potentially, you know, they could be beaten... We're, we're recording, like, in the middle of NFL Sunday, and... Well, is it tie game between Niners and Rams, Todd? Uh, the Niners are up seventeen to seven. Okay, Niners up seventeen. So they're gonna beat the Rams. The Rams went to the Super Bowl last year, and the the main difference is Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I I find that crazy that just that can make that much of a difference for a team like that. But uh, I think the difference is that Jimmy Garoppolo dated a porn star. 
I think that yeah. I mean that that I think really has helped the team in the morale. That must well, have been but, but but uh, Gardner Minshew looks like a porn star. So that's true. Honestly, that my, doesn't help them that much. Honestly, I'm gonna say over the last month and a half, uh, my biggest surprise has nothing to do with football. It's that. In the LCS of uh, I, baseball playoffs, I had three of the four right for my preseason predictions, and I was this close to four out of four right. I had, I had Cardinals, Dodgers, and Yankees, Astros, and if the Dodgers could have just ho- held on to that game five against the Nationals, uh, I would have had four out of four from my preseason predictions. I, I'm pretty impressed by that. Gotta love Kershaw in the postseason. Yeah. Oh man. Three pitches, two home runs. Yeah. Game. That that's not good. That's not good. Imagine if you had told someone twenty years ago that the World Series would be Astros and the Washington DC baseball team. That would be very confusing. A very confusing conversation to have. That'd be like when Marty McFly went to the future and the Cubs won the World Series. Yeah. That yeah. No one no one would have predicted that. I was hoping for a, an Astros-Braves World Series because the Braves always destroyed the Astros every time they played in the playoffs for like eight straight seasons. Not but. 2005. But. What happened in 2005? The Astros kicked their asses. You know, that was like the, that was like the, um, you know, uh, they, they finally beat them and then they got crushed by the White Sox. That was the Roger Clemens season, you know. In in boyhood, they go to the baseball game, and they and you know Ethan Hawke talks about how great Roger Clemens was. I remember that, but I feel like they remember that, but you don't remember. I don't feel like they ever lost to them in in a postseason series, though. How much you want to bet? (laughs) Is that really where we're going with this? (laughs) Yeah, I remember. I remember that, that. I mean, it's strange, but I remember. I remember that one well. That had like an 18 inning game back in 2005. That's also why I didn't have a life, though. So you know, I was watching baseball. All right. Well, uh, well, Zach, you can you can look it up or something, and uh, I won't go. I know from I'm there. right. I don't need to look it we're, up. We're... Ethan Hawke knows I'm right too. He was watching that series with his you know roommate playing the guitar and you know singing songs about the Astros. I'm sure they were doing it. All right. Well, we're off to a great we're, start. We're spinning in, out of uh, control. I'm sorry. In, uh, in complete tangents here, uh, and it's okay. It's okay. Um, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some of Costco's finest cheap Cabernet Sauvignon, per usual. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I went back to an old faithful, the South Shot Original Barrel Age Small Batch Bourbon Whiskey from Northern Charleston, South Carolina, and it's still really good. That's good. That's good. So I'm going yeah. with, uh, the, this is a... Uh, Appropriate for what we're going to be talking about, um, this is from uh, Rogue Brewery in uh, Portland, Oregon. I thought it was a, an apt brewery to be highlighting, uh, considering the movie we're about to talk about. Uh, this is their that's out- Marvel though. Well, yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 nobody goes rogue quite like the Joker. Um, anyways, uh. this is their Out of Line IPA, and uh, and to to kind of go in a, on a similar theme, their can if you if you guys can see it is. A penguin on a jetpack. So, but we're not talking about the penguin. Awesome. We're talking about Joker, but it's a penguin on a jetpack. 
It's like the one I, I sent you a picture of that beer I was drinking in uh, in uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, when I was going to the Nebraska Colorado game. It had Joe Paterno jet, or he was skiing. Joe Paterno skiing on a beer, and I was like, "This is really the most random thing I've ever seen on a beer." But I drank it, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, well, let's get into it then. So, um, our movie yeah. review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews for uh, for this week is Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Though your heart is aching, smile, even though... Uh, this has been a huge box office smash. It's also been a very controversial, very polarizing movie. Um, Todd, I'm going to start with you. Tell us what Joker's all about and what you thought of it. We're really going to me and not to uh, Mr. Comic Book Expert Zach on this one. Oh, should we go to Zach? No, I think we should start with Todd. Let's start with Todd. Let's start with Todd. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Todd's, the De- Todd's the the De Niro expert, right? Oh, there we go. Yeah, exactly. All right, I, 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 can, I can do it if you want, but, you know, everyone, everyone should be prepared. Go for it, Zach. Okay. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm trying, still trying to open a page here, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how hard it could be. I mean, we all, we, we all did see this movie, right? Um, okay, so, so Joker is uh, not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is a DC uh, adaptation. Um, loose adaptation of uh, the uh, Joker character from the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, Joker has been played by, I think at this point, this is the fourth major performance of of Joker after coming on the heels of uh, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, and Jared Leto. And now Joaquin Phoenix fills uh, fills the shoes of the Joker. Um, This is a movie directed by Todd Phillips, uh, who's most well-known for The Hangover. And this is about as far removed from a comedy as possible. Um, One of the things that I really admired about this movie was I think it had bravery and audacity in making the Joker um, a... Uh, not campy at all in the least bit. I mean, this is really far removed, especially from, like, the Nicholson interpretation of the Joker role. Uh, There's not a lot of, like, you know, funny, theatrical, over-the-top spectacle acting, right? This is, like, uh, a character who is emotionally disturbed and withdrawn and I think the biggest thing that has generated controversy about this movie is how the filmmakers chose to show Joker as the victim of a mental illness, uh, rather than just some person who's inherently devious. Um, The film shows, the film is set in the early 80s in Gotham City, and there aren't very many allusions to uh, Batman per se. We do see a young Bruce Wayne on a couple of occasions in the movie. 
But really, this is a standalone movie about the Joker's backstory, uh, how he uh, tries to make it as a clown. We see in the first scene that he is the victim of abuse by these kind of hoodlum kids, and he lives with his mother. We later learn over the course of the film that him and his mother, uh, his, his mother subjected him to quite a bit of emotional battery in his youth, which may have led to some of his social withdrawal and, and behavioral, kind of antisocial behavior. Um, he, we also learn that Joker suffers from a disorder where he laughs, uh, you know, nonstop, and he, he'll laugh inappropriately, and he even gives out a card that says, you know, please excuse me, I'm, I'm laughing, this is, this is out of my control. So that at least, I, I guess, in part explains his, his character's most famous attribute. Um, I liked the movie. I'll, I'll just say that. I thought it was, uh, like I said, I, I liked that it was a standalone movie. It was definitely not an MCU-style movie where we have cameo perform- cameo appearances by all these other characters with their own movies and their own stories. Um, I thought the movie worked well in terms of its tone and mood, which stayed very serious throughout. Uh, we see Joker sort of develop this obsession with getting on this uh, TV program hosted by a uh, character played by, Al, uh, by uh, I was about to say Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, the Murray Franklin show. Um, and there are some obvious parallels between Joker and both Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. Um, but I, I would say in, in the defense of this film, I thought the movie actually, it, it, I wouldn't call it like a, a ripping it off. I thought it was sort of just an interesting sort of like pseudo meta um, almost homage to those movies but this is its own movie um the tone's really strong Joaquin Phoenix is outstanding I think uh this is a really different performance than Heath Ledger um you know in the last podcast we kind of joked about uh Ad Astra Terry and Todd saying you know it's not especially Terry saying it's not the movie that you expect it to be I would say the exact same thing about Joker I think people went into this movie kind of expecting this kind of rich scene stealing scene chewing Heath Ledger type performance out of out of Joaquin Phoenix but actually this is like a really tortured, very sad, withdrawn character, and it's not a real fun experience to watch this movie, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. I think it's an interesting take on it, and uh, I give it a solid three stars. I don't think it's quite best picture worthy. I don't even know if it's necessarily up to the level of certainly The Dark Knight uh, in the Christopher Nolan trilogy, but it does stand alone really well, and I think uh, it, 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 was, it was a good experience. Not one that I would want to revisit necessarily, but uh, still a pretty solid movie. All right. All right. Todd, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what uh, Zach said. I, I think Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic. He's like almost possessed in this movie. It's not, and it's not just like the physical transformations. Like every, there's so much like pain that he that you see in his facial expressions throughout the movie. It, it like he is so in in this character that it, it seems like something completely different. I, I almost feel like the Bruce Wayne stuff was tacked on. I mean, if you would have just said it was New York and not Gotham, you wouldn't even have to put that in. It still would have been equally fascinating because it is totally inspired by, like, 70s cinema, definitely Taxi Driver and stuff. And I also saw, I mean, the, the story definitely is, there's a lot of Fight Club in there, and uh, there, I, I saw some Requiem for a Dream, especially when it's, like, when he's, like, dreaming about going on this show, I kept thinking, mm-hmm. like, of... Of uh, of Ellen Burstyn, and we got uh, a winner. and we got a winner. Uh, um, and and the movie ends with this like feeling of this like anarchy on the level of like the purge. It, I mean, I I, I love that it makes these like clear references, but as, as Zach said, it's not it's not stealing from them. It, it's it's almost like a Tarantino type thing where it's like it's clear that he's using this, but he's not actually ripping it off. He's using it uh, with like a feeling of like warmth 
like like he really loves these movies so he keep so he's making them part of this movie um i think uh todd phillips does a really good job directing and i i think uh he gives it this visual component that i wasn't really expecting it looks way more like a comic book movie than i thought it was going to but uh it, it still is really radical and deep and disturbing at the same time i um I think the the overall the like controversy that was put on the movie before it was released is a little ridiculous in retrospect. I think it's way too dark in order to really get like all jacked about the uh, about the uh, anarchy and and the uh, rebellion of the movie. But I, I I did like the movie. I think it's one of Phoenix's most interesting performances because he has had a career that's been like uh, overlooked with art house performances. But this is his most mainstream movie since Gladiator. And yet, it's disguised as a comic book movie, so he's still able to do his thing. And I, I really appreciated it. I think it's it's like half like a masterpiece, half kind of misguided. So I'm not really sure where to put it. I'll, I put it at three stars, but I, I I could see an argument for being three and a half or even like a two stars. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm gi- I'm giving this one three and a half. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying, um, but maybe just up a tick. Um, like I said, Joaquin Phoenix, absolutely outstanding. Um, Todd Phillips' direction is, I mean, he shows that he actually, he, he's, he's much more than the, than the comedy man that he's been up to this point. Um, and I found, I found the story just fascinating. Um, and, uh, and it was a real, I would say it was a real risk. And, I mean, you get into the the uh, controversy behind it too but it was it was a risk to take to take this and take joker known who's known as one of like the greatest villains in comic book history and make him a uh a relatable sympathetic character at times and that and and to ground it so much in reality in order to do it it uh, i was thinking about it if you don't uh, this movie you could easily take the name joker off of it and take away the referen- the couple references to it being Gotham City and to there being a Bruce Wayne and a Thomas Wayne. And you take those out of it, and this is a, a low-budget indie movie that maybe makes $10 million at the box office. Um, but by adding in just those few little things, it's number one in the box office for the second straight week, and it's this huge Hollywood hit. Um, but it, it, it has the elements of what makes the, the character studies that make indie films so good, yet it just has the references it needs to hit with mainstream that it becomes this, you know, cultural phenomenon almost. Um, I, I, it, which just fascinates me that you could take a movie that, that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't be seen by the masses and just put this one little piece in it and all of a sudden it is. But um, but yeah. So I'm gi- I'm giving it three and a half. What do you guys think about that? Do you, do you agree? Yeah, um, yeah, and I and I think it's a challenge because, I, I mean, the, <laughs> the elephant in the room is that you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is stepping into an interpretation of what many people consider the greatest performance of this millennium so far, which is you know Heath Ledger's posthumous Academy Award winning performance. Um, and he does a great job. He does his own sort of interpretation of the role. Uh, he looks different. He doesn't try to emulate or uh, mimic uh, Heath Ledger in any way. 
Um, and the movie has a really different tone than a lot of the Christopher Nolan films, which critics back even 10 years ago noted for how dark uh, and depressing they were. Um, but this one kind of takes it to a new level. I love that this movie is unabashedly R-rated. I read somewhere that... Todd Phillips spent like a year in post-production trying to convince uh, Warner Brothers and producers to keep this movie R-rated, and I love that. I mean, that's that's what we talk about when we use the word fearless and, and audacious. This is a movie for adults. It's not a movie for, for teenagers or kids, um, and it's about a, a, a tortured uh, personality who's much more similar to, say, Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver than he is to... I don't know, some outrageous, outlandish, you know, like Jack Nicholson in, in, in the original Batman. So if you're looking for a, a, a look at uh, deep, uh, you know, mental, emotional anguish, this is the kind of movie uh, to look at. I, I think this movie works more as, in, in spite of the controversy, I think this movie is actually a better sort of examination of emotional trauma and abuse than it even is as a comic book movie. Um, so I hope people can kind of consider that in, in, in that vein a little bit. That's what I was saying, is that the only thing that makes it a comic book movie is the fact that they're in Gotham City and there's references to to Bruce and Thomas Wayne, and that right. it's called Joker. That's the only thing that makes it a comic book movie. Everything else is is like what you would see out of a dark indie character study. Um, well, see, right. going in, I wasn't even necessarily aware that it was going to be in Gotham and there was going to be a Bruce Wayne, because it was just called Joker. It wasn't the Joker. You've never heard him referred to as Joker in anything. So I, I, I thought it might be, like, fooling you into thinking that this is some part of some bigger universe and it's going to eventually uh, get intersected with Robert Pattinson's Batman <coughs> or something like that. But I don't, like, I, don't, I really don't think that's actually possible. I, it, it, really, it really is this, like, dark psychodrama, and I really like that. Yeah, and from what I've heard, it sounds like that DC is trying to go away from having its own universe and just start doing just standalone good movies in the in their comic book realm. The one thing I will no, say about not. this, they have Birds of Prey coming out. They're well, yeah, 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 but but I I don't think I don't know if you're gonna see another Justice League for a while. Um, but uh, one thing I will say is uh, I. It was it was a good nod to have Robert De Niro in this since there were the obvious ties to Taxi Driver. However, I thought he was extremely miscast. He looked so yeah, awkward and uncomfortable in that role. He's never going to be a late night host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you don't see, yeah, you don't see Robert De Niro being like the next Johnny Carson. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I mean, I, I I it was inspired casting, but ultimately the wrong idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, it sounds like this is a thrice-approved movie. Um, definitely one that you should be checking out. Uh, but know what you're getting into. Also, don't go into this like we were saying. Don't go into this thinking, you know, you're gonna see this uh, this bonkers comic book movie. It's it's a it's a dark uh, character study and uh, and glimpse at at mental illness and how it can go go awry. So. Uh, so know what you're getting into, but it is very well done. Um, Zach, you said you don't see uh, Best Picture in its future? No, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's a movie that uh, Rotten Tomatoes sort of destroyed. I think a lot of the critics sort of drank the Kool-Aid on it and made up their minds before they saw it. Um, and uh, it, I think it got released a little too early also. Well, the American uh, critics are the ones that hated it. It was the, Everyone overseas, all the festivals adored the movie, which I think is an interesting development 
Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, do you see Joaquin Phoenix getting nominated? Yeah. No. Ooh. I could see him writing this to a nomination, but the Best Actor category is so stacked this year. It's, that, it's loaded this that, year. Uh, I, I feel like he's one of like the two or three leading contenders. Yeah. If the Academy is too pretentious for Netflix, they're too pretentious for DC. However, they changed their categories for DC. Like, they changed the Best Picture category because of one of their movies. Yeah, and, you know, it was only last year that a comic book movie got a nomination for the first time ever. So, I, I don't think they're, they're still there yet. Well, for Best Picture, but... I don't know. Best actor seems. I mean, that's close to a lock. I, I would bet. It would be funny to have back-to-back best picture winners be a Peter Farley movie and a Todd Phillips movie. That would be fascinating. That, that would be even stranger than a Washington D.C. Houston Astros World Series. I mean, if you told someone that 15 years ago. Well, or, and then, or, yeah, the, like or the fact years that years ago Adam McKay had the borderline best picture winner. Could it, it? It's also weird to think about the idea that you could potentially have two uh oscar wins for portrayals of the same comic book villain in like a 12-year span yes and and a third performance that people of the same character that people lambast and make fun of yeah everyone hated by the oscar winner of the by 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 another oscar winner (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you named off the other yeah the other jokers they've all won oscars joaquin hasn't so he's he has to win now. Well, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, yes, it is thrice approved, and we are moving on because we have a jam-packed episode. We have a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about. Uh, and next, we're moving on to our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And we couldn't agree on what we were going to talk about for our spotlight segment, so we just have two uh, two spotlight segments today. And they're both Mount Rushmore's, and we're going to start by uh, transitioning out of uh, Joker into this. We're going to talk about Mount Rushmore of Joaquin Phoenix performances. Um, He's been a very interesting actor to follow. He's had some very unique choices. Like Todd said, uh, many of his choices have been small indie films, but... um, and then he had his whole little break there where he went and filmed uh, filmed his uh, mock documentary. I'm, tr- I'm forgetting the name of it right now. I'm not here. I'm still here. here. I'm still here, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, uh, Todd, since you refused to go first last time, uh, you're going to go oh, yeah. first this time. Uh, so, what, a reminder on our Mount Rushmore's, we each uh, put forth a non-negotiable to be on Mount Rushmore, and then we uh, debate and discuss what the fourth one will be. So, Todd, who is your uh, submission for Joaquin Phoenix Mount Rushmore? Uh, I went with a movie that has actually been reviewed on this podcast, and that's The Master. Uh, w- if we do a best performances of the decade, this will <laughs> definitely be making a uh, an appearance on my list. Uh, it's similar to the Joker in how he disappears into the role and embodies this character. It was right around the time when he actually, like, recommitted his career to being, like, a good actor. Like, he was doing a lot of weird stuff before then, but this and everything since has just been 
forming him into one of the best actors of his generation, if not the best actor of his generation. And, like, the processing scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie is the best acted scene I have ever seen. And the, it has to be on his Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that was his first movie back from uh, from I'm Still Here. And, uh, yeah, I don't think this Mount Rushmore would have been complete without having the master on it. Okay, uh, I'm going to go next. And uh, for my pick, I'm going to go with the one that I don't think anybody else is going to pick. And so I'm just gonna go with it. Oh boy! I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. Johnny Cash, walk the line. Um, he he is. This was really where I mean he had he had some stuff before this, but this is when everyone realized what kind of uh, amazing actor Joaquin Phoenix could be, and what he uh, where he could go. Uh, the one problem with it was simply that it came the year after everyone. Uh, lauded and praised uh, Jamie Foxx for playing Ray Charles. And I think if that hadn't happened, and it being one of the most uh, impressive uh, best actor lineups like of all time, uh, he could have gotten some more uh, some more praise and recognition for this. But he, he completely immerses himself in this role, becomes Johnny Cash um, in so many ways. And it's, it's probably... I mean, Todd was saying it... Um, Gladiator was his last big commercial performance. This was probably his last big commercial performance, and uh, it was one of his best performances. So I'm going. I'm going with uh, Johnny Cash. Walk the line. I remember him saying, like, when uh, at the Golden Globes, that he had bet like his entire crew that he would never be able to win a comedy musical Golden Globe. And not only did he win, but he's been nominated in that category twice since. <laughs> it's like that, that's the way his career has gone. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Zach, we got the master. We've got walk the line. Where are you going? Well, it's funny you said you didn't think anyone would pick uh, walk the line. I was about to pick it, so oh. now I have to rethink it a little bit. I mean, that's it, it, it's such an incredible performance. <laughs> I I think of you know all these kind of, you know like that that was also the time of Jamie Fox and Ray and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote. Just some great great uh, performances of real life people. Uncanny. Um, uh, performances and he does all his I, own singing too that was, yeah that was... that's the difference too like yeah i mean <clears throat> you know screw that screw remy malik i mean this is you know he does his own singing that's amazing yeah so who do you think anyway then? or where, where anyway, are you thinking i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on a limb a little bit i'm gonna say um i'm gonna go uh his performance as mel gibson's brother in signs oh god because <laughs> he's really good in that movie i mean um yeah, he plays a former baseball player, and um, uh, he has, uh, he, I believe he hit, he has the minor league record for um, home runs and strikeouts, and now he works at a gas station. But he comes up really big at the end of the movie because there's these aliens that come to Earth, and um, they're about to kill Macaulay Culkin's little brother. And what happens at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, is he takes the bat that he hit all the home runs on and he beats the shit out of that that alien. Now, if we think about Ad Astra last week, you know, that had some gorillas that were ripping the faces off people. Space the aliens, monkeys. The aliens in signs are pretty pretty evil. I mean, these are these are aliens that have like some sort of vaporizing power. Um but inexplicably they are unable to um defend themselves against water. So why did they ever come to Earth? I don't know. What does this have to do with Walking Phoenix? Oh, I'm, uh, he, he's really good in the movie. That's my pick. <laughs> Does anyone ever notice that the that the uh, the aliens in Signs kind of look like Brendan Fraser's mummy? 
<laughs> I couldn't tell you. Uh, all right. That was worse than picking what's eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> but you didn't actually do that. That is a new low. You're welcome. It, it's a very subtle performance. Honestly, I think that was the first thing I'd ever seen Joaquin Phoenix in, was when I watched Signs for the first time. All right. Well. So... Now that now that Todd's ideal uh, ideal Mount Rushmore has been completely blasted to smithereens, we got to pick our our last uh, our last submission here. We've got the master. We've got walk the line. We've got signs. Don't say it like that. He's good in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, it's I, not I, on I, his I don't Mount know what you're Rushmore. talking. I'm just Come still on. saying it. He's got. I, I, he's really good in that movie. Come on. I... Okay, He's so awesome. so who who are, what else are are we gonna submit here? I I think we've gotta at least consider her. And that, that yeah. yeah, that is that is just an outstanding yeah. performance. Well, her and know. Joker are both like right up there. I would say I would say Inherent Vice is uh way more notable than signs. Even Quills I say is more notable than signs. <laughs> It's not about signs, man. It's about your pick or the 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 best. You know, I I think he's the best in signs. I would also. See, I should have just taken out... Reservation Road, just so you know, whatever. I, I would throw I would throw out the movie he was in last year where he was an alcoholic. Don't worry, he won't get that far on foot. Replays a quadriplegic that, alcoholic. That he's really alcoholic, good in that movie. not 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 the Sisters Brothers. I never saw the Sisters Brothers, but he looked good in that too. Let's not pick uh, uh, You Were Never Really Here, okay? That movie sucked. What about I'm Still Here? I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't really remember. I, I, don't, I never saw I'm Still Here, but I know enough about, you know, it was well publicized what was going on during that time. And what he was able to do and what he was striving for there is something that, you know, no one has ever even considered before. I, I would go with, if we're going to go with one that we just mentioned, I, I would go with uh, Inherent Vice. I think he's really good in that movie, and, and really funny. I've never seen Inherent Vice. Oh. Yeah, I d- that's unfortunate. The, mm-hmm. the, problem, the problem with her is that it feels like he just puts on a costume and puts on glasses, and like it feels like acting. It doesn't feel very natural. Isn't that kind of what he did in Joker? I feel like they're not all that dissimilar. He's just way more flamboyant in Joker. Todd, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned 8mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was looking through his filmography the other day. I forgot that he was even the, the, the secondary character in that. Yeah. We're also forgetting his first Academy Award nomination, which was for Gladiator as We're not Commodus. forgetting it. That movie just sucks. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I don't know. I'm voting for her, but I, I would be open to Joker and maybe Inherent Vice. I'd be open to her or Joker. Alright, let's go with her. Why not? Alright. So that... I mean, no one no one wears those high pants like quite like he does in that movie. In the glasses. It's... Yeah. And maybe I'll take I'll take maybe the like the top four that we mentioned here. We'll we'll say her, but I'll take the top four and I'll put it to a to a Twitter vote too and see what they think. Of like her, Joker What would I what would we go with? I'm still here. Eight millimeter, something like Inherent that. Inherent vice. Inherent vice. Oh, Inherent Vice, that was the other one, yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that, that question out on, uh, on Twitter and see what we can come up with. Todd, don't you think Terry would hate Inherent Vice? Like, don't you think yes. he would have a reaction to it like he did with Holy Motors? He would, like, give it one star and just destroy it? Yes. I would love to listen to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a uh, an argument against inherent vice that is similar to many arguments Todd's made. We don't need two PTA uh, films on on his Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's a good point. That's yeah, good we point. we need a Spike Jones and a Todd Phillips directed and, and performance. An, M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and an M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and and what wasn't it? Was it was it Mangold or Hackford that did Walk no, the Line? It was James Mangold. Yeah, I always get those two mixed an, an, up. Another uh, another MCU guy, right? Yep. Well, no, not exactly. Marvel, but not MCU. Right? There's, there's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Get it right. X-Men Cinematic Universe. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to consult the experts on this one. Yeah. Okay. Adam Daly. Well, let's move on to our, our second spotlight segment, which is another, um, another Mount Rushmore. And this is looking at a movie that came out this weekend uh, that is not necessarily getting the greatest of reviews and being received the best um, as this actor's career has kind of fallen downhill quite steeply in the last uh, oh decade or so. But we're talking Will Smith. Uh, came out with Gemini Man, uh, where he is uh, co-starring with himself. And uh, I, I, have, I haven't seen Gemini Man yet. Have you guys seen it? Oh, no. No? No. No. I think I mentioned it in my honorable mentions for uh, most anticipated simply because it's an Ang Lee movie, and I, I mean he he's done such amazing work that it's worth at least considering watching yeah, it. Yeah, like Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. That was, was his last wonderful. movie, which I never saw. And that movie about Woodstock, just fantastic. Oh, that that was bad. Which which one? <laughs> Taking Woodstock. Taking that Woodstock. was Ang Lee. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, but then then he's got like. Crouching Tiger and Life of Pi and Brokeback Mountain Hulk. and yes and he also has Hulk. Um, <laughs> we're, we're tearing your argument apart here. Well, we're not talking Angley. We're talking Will Smith. <laughs> Mount Rushmore, Will Smith. Uh, who's going first on this one? I want to go first. Zach, go first. All right. To me, there is no better. I, I mean, Will Smith. I don't, you know, I've never been overly impressed by Will Smith in any movie. I haven't been blown away by him the way that I was blown away by Joaquin Phoenix and Signs. The, the the one performance of his that I can say comes closest to being like genuinely impressed with his. You're going with After skills. Earth, aren't you? The other M Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, I should, but I haven't seen After Earth, unfortunately. According to IMDb, his character name in that movie is Cypher Rage, which sounds pretty awesome. Um, no, the movie I'm going with is uh, I'm Legend. Like, he's awesome in that movie. I mean, I guess in, in a similar vein to Joaquin in uh, Signs, he has to fight off these beings that are, you know, like, pretty vicious and awful. And um, what I really like about his performance in I'm Legend is that while he's this heroic scientist who has to fight off these zombies, you also gradually see him going like a little bit crazy. Like there's some really funny scenes of him in like the old blockbuster video store where he's the only one there and he's like talking to these like mannequins or these cutout posters. And he's really actually funny in those scenes. And you know, we feel for him, the flashback scenes with him and his family are really powerful. Um, and you know what? That is a movie that I think firmly established him as an action hero and he seems so bankable. 
I mean, he had been bankable up to that point, too. But uh, that was actually a really powerful performance, in part because it was a little bit like Tom Hanks and Castaway. He was really the only one in that movie. He carried that movie um, and did an awesome job portraying a multidimensional character. So uh, the, to me, that is far and away his best performance. And that was nearing the end of an unprecedented run of Hollywood bankability. What was I think it was like a 12-year span where every film he made grossed over a hundred million dollars yeah and quietly low-key point about i'm legend those are the worst zombies in any zombie movie i mean those zombies like you know what they set up traps for him i mean they were they were not just the walking dead stupid zombies that you could shoot in the head i mean these were like zombies that had you know thought complex thought so uh, it's impressive what he was able to do in that movie as an actor and as a scientist in the world of zombies yeah it's one of those roles that you could put up there with like Tom Hanks and Castaway of it takes someone special to be able to carry an entire movie where he is alone for pretty much the entire movie. All right, Todd, I'm going to you next. What do you got? Uh, so I'm gonna choose Six Degrees of Separation, which I I think he like it's one of those really roles that his talent was just undeniable the first moment you see him on screen. It was a kind of role that he hasn't really played since like ever. It's like he let the the actual material challenge him for once like he doesn't really do that anymore now he's just like an action star or like a total movie star role kind of guy uh it, it's a really good movie and it's the only time that i ever thought i've ever actually given him a, a nomination from from me like i thought he was like amazing in, in a year that was really stacked for supporting actors and I, I thought it was ambitious and i think it's the best performance he's ever given and that that would have to be mine okay all right I never saw it I saw it. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember him. He was very good in it. That was his very first movie, wasn't it, Todd? I think so, yeah. It was, it was uh, right around the start of Fresh Prince. Yeah. Oh, okay, so what am I going to go with? I've got two choices here. Mm, I'm going to go with the one. I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with him uh, in Ali. I think... His portrayal of Muhammad Ali, it was one of those, it was the perfect actor at the perfect time. And it, I honestly don't know if anyone else, like, ever could have pulled off this role quite like Will Smith pulled it off. Um, it, it was such a larger-than-life character, and it was portrayed by such a larger-than-life Hollywood star. That was just a, this undeniable star at the time, too. Uh, and he, he knocked it out of the park. I think it's his best performance he's ever given. And, uh, yeah, I gotta, I, gotta put it, I gotta put it up here. So, Ali. That's my choice. Well, I think his co-star in the movie, Jamie Foxx, could have probably played it. But Jamie Foxx didn't have the... I mean, it's one of those where you have a certain level of, like, physicality that you need from that role, too. And he's got it, and he had that also. Uh, Jamie Foxx is, is not as big as he is. <laughs> he's a tiny little dude. I don't know. Okay, but let's be honest. Who got the Oscar nomination for that movie? Will Smith. John Voight. And John Voight. <laughs> oh. Oh, Will Smith was nominated? Yeah, Will Smith got the nomination. Oh, okay. I, I, I was going. I was going with John Voight. No, Will Smith but. was nominated. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. I just remember the John Voight nomination was totally ridiculous. Yes. That, it, it's one of the worst nominations of the of this movie. It made it made no <laughs> sense. Okay. So we've got I Am Legend, we've got Six Degrees of Separation, we have Ali. We need a fourth one. My choice is uh, how can we have a have a Mount Rushmore without the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? I mean, okay, but that, that's not a movie though. D- d- we we're, really, we're doing we performances. I, I, this is performances, right? Are we making the leap to TV? I mean, <laughs> I mean that opens up a whole can of worms. But uh, the the case for TV is that really. Uh, you can't really think of any other performance that was really that great in his career. I mean, do you, I, I, I thought, you know, the, the, the one that I was prepared to say was Independence Day, not necessarily because it's a great performance, but I mean, that, to me, that was the movie that really launched his career rather than Six Degrees of Separation. Like, he was the, he was the best part of that movie. He's the reason that, you know, all, all my friends and my nine-year-old self, you know, went to that movie and enjoyed it, was the Will Smith scenes. Well, and that and that's when he became a star, a, a movie star too. Was Independence Day? Well, Bad Boys is right there too, though. Yeah, Bad Boys is right around the same time too. Bad Boys is but is a good. I, I think Independence Day was the start of his run, where where all of his movies made over a hundred million dollars. Um, See, Independence he, Day sucks though. Like nobody wants to say <laughs> that because it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. I, I would agree. I, I, I mean, would I, I would, would be, go with the first Men in Black. Yeah, I think I think the the choices we have to choose from are like are, are Men in Black, The Pursuit of Happiness, and Hitch. I I, I think those are the ones that I, w- I would say are would be most defining of his career. Or what about seven? What about Seven Pounds? No. Quietly, both Terry and I like that movie. Yep. We, we both gave it thumbs up. Yep. That, not, not so quietly. Movie. It's like a zero star movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would not sign off on Seven Pounds. Are you just completely uh, bashing my my pick of? Uh... Of Fresh Prince, are we saying? I, w- that I would take Fresh Prince, but I know if we could ch- choose TV, then yeah, I mean that would have been my number one too. So well, let's go with it then. Fresh Prince. Uh, I, th- I mean, no one's gonna no one's gonna deny that he's he's awesome in that. Well, show. yeah, and and I mean it, it it made him the likable star that he became when he became a movie star too. Yeah. Yes, and you could even say his performance as Fresh Prince in the in Jersey Girl, the Kevin Smith movie. He's good in that too. As the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. What about his performance as Fresh Prince in uh, uh, Blossom? With that that <laughs> intersecting, the intersecting universe of the early nineties. Yeah, <laughs> TGIF maybe. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Fresh Prince was not a part of TGIF. It was not. Come on, Todd. You're better. TGIF than that. was a little little too Caucasian for for Fresh Prince. <laughs> oh, Wasn't Family Matters on TGIF? Yeah, yeah, family man. That was that was the the African American representation on TGI. For the record, we are talking at RAS now. <laughs> That's what's going on. Todd, Todd, Todd is is creating the dividing line. This is when we cross that line, and are officially, yes. <laughs> All right. I think Terry, if if Todd wasn't on this episode, Terry and I would go with seven pounds. But out of respect for Todd, we'll go with. Honestly, I think we need to go with Fresh Prince though because it's a sec it's a section of his of his career that isn't represented in anything that we've done so far though. I mean, uh, I mean his his Hollywood just star power isn't really represented in what we have. I mean, 
Yes, Six Degrees of Separation is a good performance, and Ali's a good performance. I Am Legend is his least Hollywood of his big blockbuster films. So we need something so, that shows ha- just how likable and great of a star he was. And ju- so, just just uh, for the record, I typed in Will Smith into IMDb, and the and it came up with his name, and it said Music Department, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like as if that's who he is. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed actor. that too. <laughs> I'm like, well. It's a little sad that all of our choices are come from things that have been done in past decades. Like nothing is remotely recent of anything we've been talking yeah. about. Yeah, Last con- Concussion was bad. Like I mean, he and he was bad. We how, couldn't choose that. How dare we not mention Aladdin or Suicide Squad? I mean, or Collateral Beauty. You know oh. that oh. that masterpiece <laughs> there. Oh. The only bad movie Edward Norton ever made. I will say, <laughs> all that. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will say he's in a bad best picture. Is it what? What are you saying, Birdman? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. All right. Uh, I, I will say, getting back to Will Smith, uh, I did really like Focus. That was a pretty good movie. Actually, Focus is an underrated movie. That that's probably his best movie of this decade. But isn't that even like 2010 or 2011? Uh, I mean, 2015 like old at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess it was with Margot Robbie, so yeah, no, that that's probably his best performance of the decade. But then the rest of this decade is Men in Black 3, After Earth, he had a cameo in Anchorman 2, Winter's Tale, uh, Focus, uh, Concussion, Suicide Squad, Collateral Beauty, Bright, which was the straight-to-Netflix movie, Aladdin, um, and uh, Gemini Man. Student of the Year 2, what the hell is that? I have no idea. I just skipped over that. Anyways, okay, so we have we have the Mount Rushmore. We have uh, I Am Legend, Six Degrees of Separation, Ali, and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I'm okay with that. I I can go with that. Okay, let's move on from that <laughs> into something that'll be uh, much more entertaining, and that is our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. I've realized, I realized it's been a while since we've done this because we had that in-between episode there where Zach wasn't there and we did our Oscar, uh, Oscar predictions, Oscar preview. And uh, it's been like a month and a half since we've done a, a tried and true power rankings. So, uh, so here we are. Uh, Todd, what is the, uh, what is the, our point total so far? Uh, with our adjustments on the last episode, I am now up to 14. Uh, Terry is behind with 11 and Zach is at nine. I'm gaining. I'm gaining. We I've won a few in a row. even numbers. Yes. Yes. And did, did we just like strip Ben of all his points? Yeah, I think we took his points and gave them to us. And, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I won the last one. I got to pick this category. I got a long time to think about what I was going to do. And so uh, my category, since we're talking about Joker and, uh, and how this is uh, written and directed by Todd Phillips, like we said, more known for films like The Hangover, um, we're looking at... The way I, I ended up defining it was genre-breaking performances, either by an actor or a director. Something that an actor or director is known for a specific genre and then does something that is a complete polar opposite of what anyone expects of them. 
And uh, and Todd Phillips in Joker is a perfect example of what I'm looking for here. So something where someone breaks the stereotypes, breaks the genre of who everyone says they are supposed to be, and gives an amazing performance, either as an actor or a director, on the other side. So, does, does that, did, did you guys interpret my list the right way if, from what I'm describing? Yeah, pretty yes. much. Okay, good. Yeah, like, good. actors and directors outside their comfort zone. Yes, so that's a good way to put it, too. Okay, uh, let's see here. I think I am going to go first. I don't think I've gone first on anything yet today. So I'm going to go first. And uh, I'm going to go with... I've got a couple... I've got some interesting ones on here. Uh, I First, I realized that I didn't really like any of the options I came up with for directors, so all of mine are actors. Um, and uh, a couple of mine are TV also. Uh, so... Hate me if you want. So number five Jeez, on my I mean, list. That changes things. <laughs> no kidding. Are I, you really? Yeah. Well, I didn't say it couldn't be TV. Well, geez, like Brian Cranston and Breaking Bad. You think that's number one or something? I mean, come on. I, well, there, there, there is that. Anyways, I don't have Brian Cranston on my list. Uh, number five on my list is uh, is David Schwimmer uh, as Captain Sobel in Band of Brothers. Um, this is like it's the most Terry pick ever. It, it, yeah. it is, but it is it is a really good one though. I mean, this is like right in the middle of Friends. Like this isn't even this isn't even like post Friends. This is like smack dab in the middle of Friends going on. That's late late era. Late friends. era Friends, but still, he is Ross Geller, and then he comes out with this where he plays this tyrant of a drill sergeant that everyone hates and is just a bastard. And he uh, steals every scene he's in. And I remember the first time I watched uh, the first part of Band of Brothers was when I was in high school. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, dude, Ross is in this. And I'm like, wait, this is not Ross. And it was it was one of the most amazing, just complete reversals of what you expect from someone and knocking it out of the park that, I, that I'd seen up to that point. So I had to go with it. Number five... David Schwimmer in Band of Brothers, and well, if, if you, you don't want, and if you don't like it, then I'll take the other one I had off the list. That's fine. I, I just think like uh, if you uh, go to YouTube and like type in like Ross Geller without without laugh or whatever, like it, it really looks like he's a serial killer. Like he is like terrifying in Friends. If if you don't have the laugh, well, if you don't uh, have the feature. laugh track, <laughs> so, so I mean. It makes sense that he could play a, like a complete like horrible person. Oh man, and like he's he's so good in that. Ah, oh. Zach, have you have you seen Band of Brothers? No. What? Oh man. Nope, not, well, win, win trivia, and you might be able to make him watch a couple oh, episodes. I, I, I can't watch. I can't watch something for twenty hours, man. It's, it's, it's only uh, like well, eight, it eight hours. Is but... it eight parts? <laughs> It's eight parts, right? Or is it ten? You give him two episodes like ten. we did with Dexter. Yeah, I well, can maybe, give him the first yeah. two episodes. He He's in the first episode. Like, yeah, okay. and, and, and it's one of those that I think, it, even even more so than when I gave you Dexter, it's one of those that if you watch an episode, you're hooked. You, and and you, you have to watch the rest. It is just so I was not hooked good. after the first episode of Dexter, but okay. <laughs> Dexter it does take like at least a half a season. Yeah, it does. But Band of Brothers, you're hooked right away. I mean episode one ends with them like getting ready to drop into D Day. Like it's it's awesome. 
Okay. Anyways, uh, Todd, you're next. Number five. Okay, for my number five, I went with um, Colin Farrell uh, in In Bruges. Mm. Uh, in 2008, like, Farrell basically was just an action movie star, and uh, his most serious stuff uh, was in, like, no way comedic. He was just, like, the heartthrob, or he was doing something that was built on, like, anxiety, like, phone booth. But uh, this movie changed what way everyone kind of looked at him because he's done a lot of really good performances uh, in sort of the comedy genre since. And uh, he won the comedy musical Golden Globe for this movie. And uh, it's, he's just shockingly good. And his pairing with Mark McDonough also brought you, you know, Seven Psychopaths. And then later he did The Lobster. He's, he's really good at this, like, being really sarcastic, but also having this empathy with him. It, it's, a, it's an extraordinary performance. And... Uh, I, I, it was one of the first ones that, that I thought of when I heard the category. I, I didn't even think of that one. That's a great one. And it was one of the first times he actually got to be Irish, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but since, he, you know, he actually is. But, um, but, yeah, no, that's a good I realized this list was really hard to research because there's no way to, like, find a list of something like this to help you out. Anyways, that's a good one. Zach, number five. Okay, my n- number five is from a movie that was actually released this year that we've talked a little bit about on the podcast, and that is, uh, the movie is The Farewell, and the actress is Aquafina. Um, Aquafina has a career that has mostly been known for her comedy. Um, she is a rapper, she's been in a bunch of YouTube videos, and then her film career has been mostly limited to comedies. She was in uh, Ocean's 8, Neighbors 2, and then probably her breakout role was Crazy Rich Asians, in which she was sort of the comic relief uh, character in that movie movie um and then in the farewell it takes her her performance takes a completely different tone really she i mean there's a little bit of light comedy in the role but uh, i actually think it's it's a really challenging role it's a, it's a very dramatic role that involves um both english and mandarin language um it involves kind of a cross-cultural uh relationship in the movie and uh i think she nails it uh she's really really fascinating as an actress um i'm really excited to see where her career grows because i think she's a really strong outspoken activist and uh she actually is really funny in real life i love all of her stand-up stuff um but uh she is very capable of turning in a dramatic performance like she does in uh the farewell so uh she's awesome and i i really liked her performance in that movie it's one of the best performances of any movie i've seen so far this year yeah it'd be great if she was able to get an oscar nomination for the farewell um, and I had never even seen her before i saw her in oceans eight last year i think that was the first thing i'd yeah, ever seen same her here in. Yeah. Awesome. Great choice. Okay, number four on my list was one of the first ones I thought of when uh, when I came up with this category. Um, and this is number four. I'm talking Ben Stiller, and he's done uh, his fair share of comedy and uh, and kind of leaning into drama, but nothing le- leaned as far into drama as uh, Permanent Midnight, uh, where he plays uh, a comedy writer named. Uh, Jerry Stahl. I think this is based on a true story, and it's his fight uh, with addiction and how it kind of uh, unravels his entire life. Um, this is a straight-up drama that uh, he just knocks out of the park. It, it's it is a devastating movie that uh, that you have to watch. And if I mean Ben Stiller. If you don't know anything about Ben Stiller going into it, you'll think he's a completely different person because he is so far the opposite of everything else that he's done here. 
that uh yeah it, it's it's some it's his best performance i think that he's ever given and uh mm. there there are some there are some devastating scenes in there that just that just wreck you inside and uh it it's i haven't seen it in a long time and i need to revisit it it is it is a it is a great performance it is a a very noteworthy movie uh that not many people really have seen or remember much i feel like so number four ben stiller in uh, permanent midnight yeah, I mean, I've seen the movie. That's a good choice. At the time, he was doing a lot of really dark shit. Like, he had the, his Neil Butte movies, like Your Friends and Neighbors, and, uh, I mean, obviously, he directed The Cable Guy. That's about as, like, dark and twisted as you get. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Permanent Midnight, he, he is definitely just doing a straight drama. He's never really done that before. So you think this is more of a genre-bending role than uh, his performance as Tug Speedman, the highest-grossing action film star of all time <laughs> in uh, Tropic Thunder? I mean, that seems to go a little against type, but... Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, a Ben Stiller-directed movie, too. That's true, that's true. All right, uh, Todd, number four. All right, my number four is something that I know you guys are going to have because I'm a bigger fan of the movie than anyone else, and that is uh, Cameron Crowe's uh, Vanilla Sky. Because, uh, I don't know, coming off of his, like, teen movies and, like, you know, coming-of-age movies, a, a, like a sexy sci-fi mystery is about as far away from what you would expect him to do as anything. Uh, and the movie may have its faults, but I, I honestly think it's a really cool thrill ride. And I remember seeing how he had... Uh, the reason why he made the movie is because he had watched uh, Open Your Eyes, which was the original Spanish version of the movie, and he couldn't get it out of his head to the point that he had to write a script about it to try to get it out of his head, and they just made the movie anyway. Which, I kind of think that's pretty awesome, and uh, I'm, I like how his brain works, because it's a really good movie. That's that's a good choice. That's a good choice. I don't know. Again, not a fan I feel of the like movie. That's, that's totally a movie that he would have done, though. I don't, I don't feel like that's really bending genres in any way. Like, how would he have done that? His movies before that were singles. Magnolia. I mean, he always, you know, Rain Man. He did Magnolia. Fourth of July. He always did these. He did serious movies. No, I'm not saying Tom Cruise. I'm saying Cameron Crowe. Oh, oh, okay. I misheard you. <laughs> Cameron, yeah. Cameron Crowe making. Okay, that, yeah, that, that that makes quite a bit more sense. I was thinking. I feel like Tom Cruise has done a lot of roles like that, <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I know. I knew. So, it was, I, I knew it was question- you didn't take any directors either, Zach. Zach. Zach, I knew it was questionable that you listen to the podcast after we publish it, but I didn't know you didn't listen to it while we were recording it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was listening to it. I just was thinking about Tom Cruise. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, give us your number four. All y'all, you know, you got to get more out of the box, okay? My number four might, you might make the case that it's truly the the most, like, unexpected, genre-bending role of all time. The only issue with it is that that it's not really the lead role in the movie. Um, And that is Marlon Wayans in Requiem for a Dream, which is a movie we've we've mentioned on this podcast. He plays... He plays Tyrone C. Love, and you know, when you think Marlon Wayans, you think White Chicks, you think the Wayans Brothers, you think Scary Movie. Uh, This is like as far away from the Marlon Wayans public persona as you could possibly imagine. Um, In the movie, he plays Jared Leto's best friend, BFF. They score a bunch of heroin together. They're involved in like this shootout in the 
a supermarket in the middle of the night, which is like a terrifying scene to watch. At the end of the movie, he's on the chain gang in South Carolina where Jared Leto loses his arm because he's so, you know, racked up with needles. Um, this is like a... a, a and, then, and then Marlon Wayans ends up in jail. It's, it's like a brutal, you know, so in-your-face movie. And uh, he's awesome in it. And I wish for anyone... I mean, I'll forever think, for anyone that bashes the Wayans, watch Marlon Wayans in this movie. Like, he's extraordinary. Again, it, this is a movie that is an ensemble cast. It's really about four characters and their own ordeals with drug addiction. But um, he, his scenes are, are amazing. Um, of course, people remember the movie for Ellen Burstyn and maybe Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly. But, but you got to think about the persona of Marlon Wayans and how unexpected it was that he would do a movie like that. So uh, he's great. That's a great choice. That is a very good choice, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so for my number three, I made a switch. I took out my other uh, TV person. You'll hear him in the... Uh in the uh, honorable mentions, which is fine by me because it allows me to put in uh, a, uh, a performance that I was... I had six that I really wanted to get in here, and so the fact that I had to leave this one off really, really made me mad. So now I get to have it back in. And that is... Uh, Jim Carrey is one of the... is was, you know, one of the funniest guys on the planet in the 90s. And then he started... To, to do some different things and I don't think anything was quite as different and quite as shocking as The Majestic um, his uh, 2001 film uh, directed by Frank Darabont uh, who followed up Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile with this a, a story about a blacklisted Hollywood screenwriter in the 50s who ends up in this small town uh, with amnesia and a uh, a stunning resemblance to a fallen soldier from World War II that never came home. And um, it, it is just, it is a stunning movie. I love, love, love this movie. And in all of the times that Jim Carrey kind of steps out, like when he does Truman Show or when he does Eternal Sunshine or even like Man on the Moon, he's doing something different and something dramatic, but there is still an element of comedy to it and an element of of his his larger than life personality that still is able to shine out this is the most subdued and uh and just calm performance that i've ever seen jim carrey give um and i loved it i loved it he was magnetic the entire movie even though all of his normal tricks were left at the door uh, so I, I'm glad I was able to put it back on the list. So number three, Jim Carrey and the Majestic. That's a Terry pick. It is totally a Terry pick. <laughs> yeah. And not like, I don't know why you go, why would you go with the Majestic over the Truman Show or Man on the Moon? Because like Just I said, those those other those other ones they were they were different, but he was still able to be Jim Carrey at times. Like Truman Show, you're you're watching Truman Show and he's he's doing his thing, but then. He has those moments like he's driving around the circle. Look at me! I'm being spontaneous! And, and I mean, he has those moments where he is still... It's like, okay, yeah, 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 you're being Jim Carrey. This is so, like, off the wall, other side of the realm Jim Carrey that you never at once in this movie go, oh yeah, there, there's Jim Carrey shining out. He is completely a different person. Could have gone with the number 23. Yeah, but I never saw that because yeah. it was supposed to suck. Yeah, so, same here. Yeah, yeah. 
And Majestic, I, yeah, the Majestic is, is a good choice. It's so, one yeah, of my I mean, fav- favorite movies. I love that movie. Yeah. Okay, Todd, number three. Okay, for number three, I'm going with uh, Brad Pitt, his performance in Burn After Reading. Uh, and it's not that he hadn't done comedy before, but I don't think he had ever done anything as self-deprecating and goofy as he did when he played Chad in uh, in Burn After Reading. Uh, seeing him on his headphones, like, dancing around or, like, on the phone with Osborne Cox or, like, worrying about the security of your shit, uh, he is absurdly distractingly offbeat and it like it's a role that a lot of people could have played but nobody could have done it to the point that like they would shed their just like movie star magnetism and just be that character quite like brad pippett did Uh, and uh it was i think it's one of his most interesting and strangest performances he's ever given and i don't think that he ever (laughs) would uh approach doing something like that again you think that's a schwinn (laughs) <laughs> that's an awesome choice i thought about that one yeah that that's that's just great yeah yeah thanks mm-hmm. zach number three okay my number three is uh this is the first time it's it, that an it, 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 acting performance has been mentioned by a non-actor i feel like that definitely qualifies for this list um and that is tony siragusa in 25th hour yes tony siragusa <laughs> was defensive lineman for the 2000 Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens and was a great football player. And uh, he's amazing in 25th Hour. You know, when you watch him on the side... Does he still do sidelines for Fox? I, I don't know if he does. No, I don't know. No. Back in the day, he, he was like a sideline reporter and he was just this big, fat, goofy guy and his comments were pretty stupid and he didn't really seem like, you know, all that charismatic. In 25th Hour, uh, he plays... Uh, uh, the Russian associate, Kostya, of uh, Edward Norton's um, gang leader, uh, Uncle Nikolai. And uh, he's awesome in the movie. You know, he nails the Russian accent. Beautiful baby, beautiful lady. And uh, he has a great, you know, rapport with uh, the Edward Norton character. He gets these kind of malapropisms of the English language that are really funny throughout the movie. It is Murphy's Law. No, name dog after Murphy. Um, He's very funny, uh, but it's it's actually a really serious movie. Um, And it's a performance that uh, I can't imagine anyone else doing. Uh, he's just so good in it, and I can't believe he did that. And um, it's it's so weird to say, but uh, he's amazing in the movie. It, it's the definition of genre bending performance. That's I w- what I feel like Kevin Garnett's going to be in. Uh, oh, in, in the, Uncut the, Gems. Uncut Gems, yeah. <laughs> yeah that that is that is a great choice. That is a great choice. Yeah, I remember him on the, he'd be the sideline reporter, but he was basically the color guy that just refused to be up in the booth. Like, he's like, no, I'm going to be a better color guy if I'm standing in the end zone. <laughs> and he just stood underneath the goalpost and talked talked about the game the whole time. Um, yeah, but he was great. He was great in that movie. Okay, number two on my list is uh, another comedian uh, turned into uh, not a comedy performance. And... This was the start of a trend for uh, for this actor that's continued from here, and it's really become quite a quite an interesting career that he's made for himself. And this is Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Um, he had he was one of the more bankable comedians of the time, you know, starting on The Daily Show, and and uh, you go into like Forty Year Old Virgin and stuff like that, and then you get this. 
where he plays John Dupont, this uh, this heir to a fortune that decides to start a wrestling group on his on his farm, and it is chilling to see to see him in this role. Um, it, it is, I mean, there are a few performances that you that you see that you just make you go wow, and he is he is unrecognizable, which helps in it, but. He he is just completely disappears into it, and I mean to go from forty year old virgin, and you know Evan Almighty to getting an Oscar nomination for this was was pretty outstanding, and he was incredible in it. So, and and as far off of anything else he had done up till that point. So, number two on my list, Steve Carell, Foxcatcher. Yeah, it's a classic example of comedian doing absurdly dark dramatic work yeah yeah all right todd number two my number two i went with it's a tie but they're from the same movie and that is seth rogan and sarah silverman in sarah Pauly's take this waltz oh wow and uh it out there yeah (laughs) i i mean i feel like they they definitely can do dramas but at that point you wouldn't expect it at all like rogan's roles are not really joke oriented it's just putting him in like certain situations is really funny and sarah silverman is totally straight-faced in her stand-up but but you put her in a different situation could be really dramatic like in i smile back she nearly got an oscar nomination for it but I, i think this movie just they, they really dig deep into these characters unlike anything I've seen from them. They have done drama, but uh, I don't think they've done it as well as they did in this movie. Playing opposite Michelle Williams kind of helps, but, you know, I, I think they were totally award-worthy for the movie, and Sarah Pauly doesn't make enough movies because every time she does, it's kind of a treat, and th- this is the first time I was like, wow, Seth Rogen in a drama, this is going to be really interesting, and it was. It was a good movie. Alright. I've not seen that movie, by the way. I've not seen that movie. I saw the first 30 minutes of it and fell asleep. Oh, yeah, you did that in Ad Astra, too, so we can't take you seriously. <laughs> Space monkeys. All right, Zach, number two. Uh, my number two is, um, I, I want to make a, a short PSA for a second. You know, there's so many dudes and male actors that it's very easy to think about, like, shifting genres. There's so few actresses so few female actors that it's it and and i think that's just noteworthy to kind of note i mean i don't know what to make of it i don't know i i think you know actresses get pigeonholed to certain types of roles and i think per, you know the production companies and casting directors and directors are all men and so i think that i think there is a, a lot of inherent gender bias um in in this category uh, it's not it's not a critique of the list but i think it, it, it for me personally it was really harder to think of female actors and female directors who have uh, been able to shift uh, genres. Um, so I try to make a conscious effort for that. Anyway, the bottom line is my number two pick is Anne Hathaway and Rachel getting married. Um, this is a role that, um, I mean, now I think we consider Anne Hathaway a pretty serious dramatic actress. She won an Oscar for a dramatic role in Les Miserables. But back in 2008, she was really mostly known for lightweight roles, especially in, in The Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted, these kind of kids' movies. And even her more adult movies were basically like The Devil Wears Prada. She did, ha- she did have a great performance in uh, Brokeback Mountain, but again, that was sort of a supporting role. Um, in Rachel Getting Married, she plays uh, a drug addict 
named Kim, who's out of rehab, and she's at home uh, over the weekend for the wedding of her sister. And the movie is shot in such a gritty, sort of in-your-face, almost cinema verite documentary style. Um, and seeing her haircut the way it is in the movie and her just go off the cuff um, is uh, pretty jarring. I mean, I remember it being pretty jarring back in 08. Um, and, you know, considering how, like, graceful and elegant she is in real life, it's really quite quite a turn um, against expectations. And uh, she's incredible in the movie. It's one of the best movies, I think, of the 2000s. It's one of the best uh, performances of the 2000s. And again, like Tony Saragusa, I can't see anyone else in that role after, after she did it. So uh, I think it completely altered what she was known for in movies after that. That was a, a really seminal point in her career. And it's fortunate because she is a really versatile, uh, talented actress who could do virtually um, any genre. So I think that was the movie that, that, that verified that. So so uh, she's great. Number two, Rachel getting married. Anne Hathaway, phenomenal. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, Definitely. I just love Rosemary DeWitt even more in that movie. But that that's a great choice for this list, for sure. Do you agree that it's harder <laughs> to think of women in, for this list, though? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I... I I was I, I was just gonna say Seth Rogen, but I was like, oh yeah, Sarah Silverman too, and that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it wasn't the first yeah, thing that example. came to mind. <clears throat> I almost feel like it's harder to think of women for this category simply because I don't know. Maybe it's harder to think of some women as being pigeonholed into a specific genre too. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, like I can think of it, like Julia Roberts, Susan Sarandon. Um, you know, uh, Helen Hunt, Gina Davis. I mean, these are actresses that can do both comedy and genre to some degrees, but I think, I, I don't know, I, maybe it's just that we know that they're great actresses. Maybe that's that's one part of the problem, but I really think the problem is just inherent bias uh, in the industry. I think well, yeah, I mean, it's not like directors... It's not, it's not me, like at any point Goldie Hawn ever got cast in like a, as a lead in a drama or something like that. I right. Mean, yeah, that's true too. Right. Okay. All right, so moving on, number one. That was a very good point that you made there, Zach. Um, number one on my list is uh, the one on my list that is taking a a kind of drama action type person and going full-fledged comedy. Um, and no one did this better than Tom Cruise as Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. I mean, the, Tom Cruise is, I mean, he's the the biggest Hollywood star, especially at this time, you could say he was the biggest Hollywood star you there that we had. And he goes and does this tiny little bit part in full makeup, putting on with the makeup, putting on like what, 50, 75 pounds, something like that. And going crazy as this Hollywood production manager. I mean, he is insane in that movie completely unrecognizable and it's like the first time we've ever seen tom cruise like make fun of himself almost in some ways he's not taking himself too seriously and that's what it takes for some of these drama guys to to be able to be on this is finally have a moment where they're not going to take themselves seriously and so like tom cruise in tropic thunder another one i was thinking of that was similar would be like leonardo dicaprio and Django unchained like the first time they're not taking themselves too seriously and willing to just like go for it in some random role but nothing was more shocking than the first time i saw tom cruise in tropic thunder and what he was doing and the character he was portraying it was hilarious and yeah it had to be my number one yeah well and, and even better because i was like right in that 
uh, time when you could still get away with people not knowing that he was in the movie <laughs> until yeah, the end yeah. credits. <laughs> it was yeah, like right and, at the end of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, and that and that's what that's what it was. They, it was it was kind of rumored that he was in it, but no one really knew what he was doing. And then he showed up on screen. And you're like, holy cow! Yeah. All right, Todd, number one. Okay, well, my number one, I know you guys are going to hate because you hated it the last time I put it on one of my lists, which was <laughs> the best uh, rotten movies list. Uh, but that is Clint Eastwood's direction of Jersey oh, Boys. Dude, all right, so yeah, I knew, I was like, if you did not have this on your list, you'd be lying to yourself. I knew that you were going to yeah. have this on your list. Well, thanks. Yeah, it, yeah it's like bully you, yeah, and whatever. Brad Renfro. <laughs> um, okay, but... Uh, so, the movie is, like, half mob-oriented music biopic, but at the time, Eastwood would have done nothing like this. It's also basically a musical, which the first thing I thought of when I heard the list was the scene in Boy Meets World where uh, Frankie Stacchino gets a DVD of Paint Your Wagon, and he's like, it's Clint Eastwood. He sings in this. It's like... <laughs> and, like, him directing a movie about of a musical is as bizarre of a thought as you could possibly think of. And uh, so I had to put it number one just because I had remembered, you know, I remember that in Boy Meets World, and it's my favorite show of all time. But uh, it's not that I don't think you could actually pull it off. It's just, I mean, I think it works so well, and I think it's one of the best movies of 2014. And he works in the soundtrack really well. He makes it almost like Goodfellas, but he also is like this meteoric rise to fame for the four seasons. It's a fantastic movie, and uh, I I don't think anyone would have expected him to make this at, at that time, and... I'm glad he did. Todd, you cannot give me shit for Walking Phoenix and Signs after that pick. I, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, that was I the can. most gloriously self-absorbed pick of all time. First of all, he, he had directed Bird. I mean, it's not like he hadn't directed musicals before. And That like, was not a musical. This I, was like a musical biopic. That was a, just a movie about a musician. Well, but, like, I think also with Clint Eastwood, like, we know that he can shift genres. Like, well, he did now, it with Bridges of Madison County, and I, th- I think we knew that you know, prior to the release of Jersey Boys, but... Yeah, when well, that came uh, out, and, did you really, would you really have expected him to make that movie, though? Yeah, like, I would have thought this movie would have been directed by Bill Condon, not, not Clint Eastwood. <laughs> in, in, in Todd's defense, here are the five movies he's made since. American Sniper, Sully, 1570 to Paris, The Mule, and Richard Jewell. And the five movies he made before it were J. Edgar, Hereafter, Invictus, Gran Torino, and Changeling. Nothing even on that list even remotely screams, you know, Broadway musical. <laughs> so I'm defending yeah. his pick. I don't love it. I, I don't love it as much as Todd. I do think it was a good movie, but I don't love I know, it as much as Todd. You love Paint Your Wagon, was. though. I don't know if is love is the right word for it, but you ha- you scene, own the movie. Might, scene might be the better word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Banger Wagon. But I had to give a shout out to, you know, Louis Lastic, Frankie Stacchino, you know, Ethan Very Suffley. Nice. Yeah. All right, Zach, I think I know what your number one is, too. Don't let me down. Oh, I... I, well, my I have to change my number one because I I thought my number one was going to appear in both of your lists, so I just thought it was, was going to be redundant. I can't believe that neither of you said We've this. We've done this I before. Was, the, 
so I, I'm sorry, I have to change mine. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll, you know, pull an audible at the line of scrimmage here, but I have to go with Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. How is that not on either of your lists? Like that to me is the most obvious, like that, that, that's, you know, Terry, you talked about, you know, encyclopedia definition. When you think genre, crossing genres, this is the first performance that should come up. I mean, by 1993, what was Tom Hanks known for? He was known for Sleepless in Seattle, League of Their Own, Joe versus the Volcano, big and splash i mean look at his filmography nothing would suggest that he was capable of playing um you know a character who is dying of aids in a genre about uh or excuse me in, in, a, in a very serious drama about uh the way that that hiv is is viewed in society um and not only is it you know grounded in in that sort of uh reality but also he goes through a huge physical transformation in that movie um and you know at that time aids and hiv were still very misunderstood um, it's a it's a risky, uh, totally risky performance. I would also add that Denzel Washington's role is, is completely risky too, and goes against a lot of t- uh, the types of characters that he played in movies as well. But um, you know, this is the movie that launched Tom Hanks's dramatic career. So I think now now we take for granted that Tom Hanks is a versatile, multi dimensional actor. But certainly in 1993, no one no one was aware of that. So uh, no, this is this is the I think the very definition of being able to, to cross genres. And, and he's amazing in that movie. And that movie holds up very well. It's also interesting now that my number one and two performances are both Jonathan Demi movies. So there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that one. But now that now that you mention it, you're you're absolutely right. I missed I missed one there. I should have had that on my list. What was going to be your number one? Oh, my number one was go- well. It was going to be uh, something else that I should look up. Oh, it was no. It was uh, it was going to be uh, Whoopi Goldberg in the color purple. Yeah, so, she should be on my list somewhere too. But you know, I guess that's a little different because that was her film debut. But um, I, you know, that, no one would have ever expected that role based on what people knew of her in 1985. But that's a good. Point. I actually, I I kind of like the Tom Hanks number one better though. I mean, I don't know how that didn't make either of your lists. Well, well, I feel like we did this before with another list where it's like I thought I, I I guess I'll have to put that number one because you guys didn't have it on your list or something. I forget what it was though. I I, I forget what I long. remember that too. I forget what it was also. But I I am I am shocked Zach that on your list is not. Adam Sandler in uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know. That's not really... Well, he may he may make an appearance on my prediction for Adam Daly's list. Mm. Well, let's do, uh, let's do some honorable mentions first. Before we get to Adam's list. So, the one TV performance that I took off my list to put in Jim Carrey was uh, uh, Hugh Laurie in House... I mean, he was he was yeah. a slapstick like sketch com- comedian, and then gets this drama. Um, great, awesome. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Along Came Polly. I mean, at that at that point, to to go into like just a, a full on slapstick comedy where he's basically making fun of himself. Um, and then you've got uh, Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society is uh, the first real turn for him. Uh, you've got. Uh, I, I tried to go back and find something like, like way way back that would go for this, and the best I could find was Marlon Brando and Guys and Dolls. Like like you look it's at terrible, now, but you look at his filmography and like that. There's nothing that's even close to that, and I wouldn't say he's terrible. Um, he's terrible. Another really interesting one I thought of was uh, Christopher Guest in A Few Good Men. He plays the yeah. doctor. And it's like, dude, what what is he doing in this movie? <laughs> well, you could have said Rob Reiner for directing the movie. That's true too. That's true too. 
Um, and uh, the last actor I'm going to mention is if he actually, you know, was good, uh, Russell Crowe and Les Mis. I mean, that's about as far out as you can go, but he was he was horrible. Um, well, you, why don't you say Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd then? I mean, that, oh, that's, that's a good point. Uh, he was really good in that. I should have had Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd. Um, because, but the thing is with that though, yeah, it was a musical, but it totally felt like a Johnny Depp movie. Maybe because it was a Tim Burton well, movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 well, you know, Jersey Boys felt like a Clint Eastwood movie. <clears throat> so there. And you could. That's a good point. Um, so uh, there were Not three really directors I considered putting on this list. Um, the one that I gave as kind of like the example to all of you guys was Martin Scorsese directing Hugo, um, which it. I, I didn't put it on the list because I used it as as an example for for kind of what I was looking for here. Um, another one, uh, Steven Spielberg doing Schindler's List, was a. I mean, at this point, he was kind of like the Hollywood director, and then he does this this three hour drama about the Holocaust in black and white. And the other one I thought of was uh, when David Gordon Green did Pineapple Express. I mean, yeah, did, did anybody yeah. see that coming? <laughs> Well, yeah, and he continued to do more like it, but the first and, one was Pineapple Express. Yeah, and no one... No, that was like, what? wait, what? The guy who did Snow Angels and George Washington is doing Pineapple Express? What? It made no sense. So There are but, times in the movie that totally feels like David Gordon Green, but yeah, like stoner comedy Yeah, by the director of All the Real Girls. Yeah, it doesn't make any <laughs> awesome. sense. Yeah. Okay, so that, that those are my honorable mentions. Todd, what do you got? Well, similar to uh, Martin Scorsese doing Hugo, uh, Eli Roth doing The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Uh, not a good movie, but that is as disturbingly far out of a <laughs> as you could possibly get for any director. <laughs> similar to my, another one of my honorable mentions, Kevin Smith directing Red State. Uh, I mean, that that was a really strange time in his life, and I, I don't know why he made that movie, but... You know, he did, and then he made Tusk, and that was uh, that. Was that. Uh, then I also have David Fincher directing The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, because to that point, he pretty much just made, like, crime dramas and, like, serial killer movies, and all of a sudden he's making this, like, really big-budget, visual effects-driven, uh, like, romance thing. And, uh, yeah, that was a really big step out, and it was a really good movie. I also have Ashton Kutcher's performance in Spread, where he plays a, uh, a gigolo and uh, really dramatic work and really good work, unlike his, like when he tried to do drama in like, the butterfly effect and stuff. I also have Wes Craven uh, directing Music of the Heart, which, I mean, that's pretty much self-explanatory. That is just <laughs> does not make any sense. <laughs> and uh, I have one. Will Ferrell, uh, his performance in Everything Must Go, because uh, even in like stuff like uh, Stranger Than Fiction, he's still Will Ferrell doing comedy things. But in this, he's just like really upset and pissed off, and like it, it's really it's a really dramatic performance, and it really works. It's it's similar to what uh, Steve Carell has been able to shift into now. But at the time, Will Ferrell hadn't done anything like that, and he really hasn't done anything like that since. And I I really like him in that movie. So what you're saying is that's kind of like Jim Carrey's Majestic. I guess, but I mean, it. But this is, I mean, this is you take the Will Ferrell character and you put him in a drama with his comedic character kind of thing, and it just, like, it, it, he's really upsetting, like, in this movie, but he's not subtle or anything. See, I, I've, I've, I viewed, like, Stranger Than Fiction from Will Ferrell, because I considered that. I viewed that on, like, par with Truman Show from Jim Carrey. Okay. 
All right, Zach, honorable mentions. Uh, the only director I thought of was Ridley Scott for Matchstick Men, which I'm a little surprised Todd didn't mention. Oh, that's a good yeah, one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, most of mine were, were actors. Um, ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. I think that came out of nowhere. Tom Hulse in Amadeus, even though he's the perfect Mozart, but, you know, completely defied expectations. Uh, Ronnie Dangerfield in Natural Born Killers. Uh, Rhea Perlman in Sunset Park, in which she plays a... That's a terrible in, movie. Inner city <laughs> basketball team. That is one of the five worst movies I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I've actually never seen it. I just wanted to put it on the list. Um, Sasha Gray and the Girlfriend Experience. Nice. Now, going from porn to mainstream is is quite a you know quite a shift, but uh, she handles it pretty well. Um, Donald Trump and the Little Rascals, in which he appear he plays a loving and caring father um, and a human being <laughs> rather than a complete asshole. Sorry, gotta throw that in there. Um, Elton Brand as a producer for Rescue Dawn. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Jack's transition from his voiceover career to selling commercial real estate. Um, Steve-O's 2009 appearance on Dancing with the Stars. I didn't OJ even know Sim- about that. O.J. Simpson in Naked Gun 33 and a Third, and for that matter, Anna Nicole Smith in Naked Gun 33 and a Third. Um, Intervenus de Milo, Spinal Tap's 1974 album, their first album to go bronze. Uh, it features religious songs and has a picture of the Venus de Milo sculpture with an IV tube connected to her stump on the cover. Um, you could also go with Nigel's sad piano ballad, Suck My Love Pump. And then, uh, last but not least, uh, Al Pacino in Jack and Jill. Uh that was beautiful. beautiful. Uh, yeah. Took more time to think of that list than my actual list. See now, if if I had if I had seen it, one of the ones I would have considered is like Robert De Niro and analyze this, but I haven't seen it. So yeah, that was on my yeah. long yeah. list. That that was yeah, that was his first real comedy. Yeah. And plus, Meet the Parents, like that. That was yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Don't forget. Maybe the fat. Maybe we could have put like Rocky and Bullwinkle and the fact that he says you talking to me in it. But, or or Shark Tale. Oh yeah, that too. Okay, let's move on to uh, to uh, to our game here. So we are here now to pr- try and predict Adam Daly's list, one of our fellow Almost Sideways contributors, and let's see who knows him the best. Now this was a tough one because, as you can see, there was no crossover in our list. No one even considered any of the any of the performances we had <laughs> talked about. So the fact that we are uh, pretending we could come up with anything that Adam would have come up with. It, we're really just kidding ourselves here. But let's see what we can do. Here is my top five for Adam. I've got number five, Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever. Uh, number four, Adam McKay doing The Big Short. Number three, Leonardo DiCaprio, Django Unchained. Number two, Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. And number one, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Okay. Todd, what do you uh, got? My number five, I have Robert Rodriguez directing Spy Kids. Uh, number four, I have Jim Carrey in The Truman Show. Number three, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Number two, Vince Vaughn in Brawl in Cell Block 99. And number one, I have Michael Bay directing Pain and Gain. Okay. Okay. Zach. So we have one crossover in our predictions. Yes, That's more yes. than our entire list. <laughs> All right, my number five is um, I, I'm predicting that he's going to say something about Todd or me or Terry not knowing something. So I'm just going to claim that as my number five pick because he, that, he, he likes those abstract choice. <laughs> that, that is a great way to make sure that you do not get that one right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
number four, Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. Number three, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher. Number two, Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love. And number one, which I'm shocked we haven't mentioned, Jordan Peele for Get Out. Where's that? Oh, that's a... Gosh. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a missed opportunity. All right. So let's see how we did. Here is Adam Daly's list. Honorable mentions... First on his honorable mentions is the 2019 NLDS between the Braves and the Cardinals. Oh, uh, Adam. Uh, <laughs> up, he says, up till game five, uh, it was the best drama of the year. Then game five became a Braves fan <laughs> true horror film. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, ten runs in the first inning will do that to you. Um, uh, then on his honorable mentions, he has uh, Zendaya for Euphoria. Oh, that's a great that's choice. A yeah, 16 months after her last show for the Disney Channel, she went from being Mary Jane to being addicted to vodka, drugs, and possibly a little bit of the Mary Jane. Um, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Uh, then know. he's got uh, LeBron James and John Cena in Trainwreck. Uh, the best basketball uh, player playing today and a WWE world champion delivering the best comedic moments of the film. John Cena is great in that movie. That's a really good choice. I should have thought of that. Then uh, Joe and Anthony Russo directing Captain America the Winter Soldier. Known for directing mostly TV shows, their only other film credit was You, Me, and Dupree, uh, a bad comedy, but reshaped the MCU with a gritty political spy thriller and the best MCU film to date. Yep. Um, Joe Pesci for Home Alone. <laughs> Is he a clown? Okay. Does he amuse you? Known for his tough mobster roles, but bringing that to a childhood classic. And his last honorable mention is Donald Trump, reality starter president. I'll leave the jokes to Zach. Hey, already been mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Here's his That's top five. That's impressive, actually. That's the tiebreaker if we all have one. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, number five, Brian Cranston, Breaking Bad. He broke his lovable dad persona he made from Malcolm in the Middle and became one of the best characters of all time. Uh, number four, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski in A Quiet Place. Both are known for doing romantic comedies and comedies, but both broke out with this quiet horror film, showed a grittier and tougher side to them both as well. Number Emily Blunt, I mean, come on. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know about Emily Blunt. John Krasinski, yeah. definitely, though. Uh, number three, Bill Hader for The Skeleton Twins. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. I didn't think he was going there. Known mostly from SNL as Stefan and various other characters, Hader became a lead in this drama and captivated the screen. Without this role, we might not have have him in HBO's Barry. Uh, number two, Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition. Uh, known as the everyman character, could have went with Philadelphia here from comedy to drama, but having Hanks playing an assassin in something is something no one would have believed when he first started acting. And number one... Todd, you're gonna I was like, thinking Sam Mendes for Road to Perdition, honestly. Like that, I was thinking, I was thinking Sam Mendes for Away We Go. Yeah, that's where I would have gone with yeah. that. Anyways, I guess he'd only had one movie before Road to Perdition. That's true. <laughs> A number one, Todd, you're going to like his number one, is Elijah Wood for Sin City. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Possibly suffering from the side effects of being a big blockbuster franchise, he went uh, very, very dark in this Robert Rodriguez film. He became... Uh, he became the total opposite of Frodo, the monster we cheered for as he's being killed in the grisliest <laughs> way possible. I can think of like five other actors from that movie that were playing more against type than Elijah Wood. Then going from Frodo? I don't know. I th what about Nick Stahl? Or Brittany, Brittany Murphy? Yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's a decent choice. 
But it does solidify the fact that we've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even have an honorable mention. Like, yeah, <clears throat> not even a, not even a, an actor in it. But he we had both... a great list though. Like like all of those were like, man, that's a good pick. That like Joe Pesci Home Alone. How did none of us think of that? That's Todd and I both both had the president on our honorable mention list. Therefore, I think I did. I win. Todd didn't have him on his honorable mentions. You mean Adam? I meant Adam, excuse oh. me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Well, yeah, I see. The, yeah the Adam, yeah. That, that was what I said. Yeah, that's the tiebreaker. So, yeah, you win. Yeah. I, I'm I really mean, upset that, call it that you didn't have pain and gain. It's not a win <laughs> for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pain and gain, I, I, I thought, was for sure going to be on his list. I, I think I get credit for having two Batman villains, and he <laughs> and he had an MCU director. That that's what I'm going with. That, that I get what? some credit for that. That's not, that's not even the same universe. <laughs> like it literally. If could anything, not be Todd away. gets Todd, get, Todd should get like a fourth of a point because he mentioned Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad. Well, yeah, then, I mean, yeah, if, there, we, then, if I thought that we were going TV, then I would have totally put that on my predicted list. Well, and then and then so then I think Zach gets it because he also had his number one was Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And Adam's number two was Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition, mentioning he could have said Philadelphia. And he Philadelphia. No, yeah. Zach wins anyway. Zach like, wins. Z- yeah. Zach already had the win. He he goes to ten, so it's now fourteen, eleven to ten. And Zach, Zach this is like your first win in six months. Oh, I I, I can't believe it at the ex- expense of the person occupying the Oval Office too. I feel so <laughs> so corrupt. Uh, that was a good list. That was a good list. Zendaya I knew that none of us were going to have... Yeah, that, yeah, if I was going TV, that would have been... Yeah, that's right there, too. But, I mean, I, I loved... I knew when you said the list, I was like, we're going to have zero in common. And that's exactly what happened. I like his comment from... Uh, went from being Mary Jane to being addicted to Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. Uh, pat, in, pat in the back for that one, Adam. Yeah, that, that was, that was <laughs> well one. played. Well played, Adam. <laughs> That might, I think that might have been Adam's best performance right there. Yes. <laughs> I think it was. It's his about best Mary performance Jane. on the All of Series podcast. Yeah, yeah. His best per- well, his be- it, that, that was his best power rankings list. I think that, that was his, from, from uh, yeah, the Mary Jane to Mary Jane, you know, mentioning the horror that was Braves Game 5 and, uh, yeah, and everything in between. Dude, Joe Pesci Home Alone. That should have been on my list. Gosh dang it. Okay, so Zach wins. He goes. He comes a little closer to uh, to getting out of last place, a place I occupied for a very long time, and uh, he gets to pick uh, our next power rankings when we get there. So, with that, let's move on to our trivia segment. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Before we get into, uh, before we get into our trivia game, we first have to uh, report on some movies that we were forced to watch. Uh, Zach, why don't you go first? All right. So Todd assigned me the comedian. Actually, gave me a choice between the comedian or the house that Jack built. I went with the comedian because it was shorter. And uh, this is a film that is relevant to Joker because it also stars Robert De Niro as a comic. Um, 
Unfortunately, this movie's quite a bit worse uh, than Joker, quite, quite a step down. Um, in this movie, which is directed by Taylor Hackford and features an all-star cast, um, he plays this aging kind of insult comedian who was once known for a TV show that everyone remembers him from, but, uh, you know, he's an insult comic and, you know, uh, says really mean things to people on stage. I would absolutely agree with Terry's criticism of Joker, which is that Robert De Niro, as a comedian, just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I mean, for all the praise that we heap on De Niro as one of the greatest actors of all time, it's just not natural seeing him say lines that are supposedly funny. He's funny in Meet the Parents, but as a juxtaposition to the Ben Stiller character. Anyway, I have no idea why Todd assigned me this movie. I thought it sucked. It was it was really hard to watch. His it, it, nothing was funny at all. I, I would cringe every time he would get on stage and and perform. And to top it all off, this horrible romantic subplot with Le- Leslie Mann didn't feel realistic at all. And this song at the end of the movie that he sings about elderly people farting, uh, it's just uh, horrible. Um, a real low point in what has already been a low point in De Niro's career this decade. So uh, a dirty grandpa looks like Raging Bull compared to this. That This was this was bad, Todd. One, one and a half stars. Oh, dude. Yeah, no, this is, this is definitely better than Joker. This is a three and a half star movie and one oh of the best God. movies of really? 2016. Are you kidding? I, what I love about De Niro is like in this movie, especially he is playing De Niro and that is the way he is in real life. Like I, if he, if he is saying things in public, it is really uncomfortable and you do cringe when he actually says things because you know that he's going to get flack for it. And that's exactly the way he is in this movie. And, I don't know. I mean, Taylor Hackford is the director of this movie. It's not like it, it's just like some like hack director. It, it, he they make it something different, and I guess you could look at it shallow. But I don't know. It's 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 a great movie. Oh. <laughs> I, I want to know how Zach you you say you say it makes Bad Grandpa look like Raging Bull, and then gave it only you gave it one and a half stars. I mean, he the likes best part of the Grandpa. movie. The best part of the the movie was uh, Edie Falco as his manager. That I would have watched because Edie Falco is a great actress, and I think her scene, her character is interesting. But everything else in this movie is total garbage. It was really hard to watch and and sit through. I actually had to watch it on three separate occasions because I just grew so bored and tired of it. And oh, and if you think his scenes in in the joke in Joker are bad, just you know just watch him sing to old people about farting. I mean, it is just wow, awful. All right. Well, I I knew I you were gonna a... hate it. That's okay. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I don't know why you assigned it to me. You knew I was gonna. Hate well, no, it. I told you you should have watched House of Jack Bill, but the, this was I, I thought related to Joker, kind of. So. Yeah. Well, I had a I had a better viewing experience than you did because Todd assigned me Shoplifters, which was well, he gave me a choice between Shoplifters and uh, was it Dragged Across Concrete? Was the other one, Todd? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I went with uh, I went with Shoplifters, nominated for Best Foreign Film this last year. Um, didn't it? It won the Palm Door last year, right? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and th- this is this is a great movie. It's a it's a Japanese film about this uh, this makeshift family that's been put together that um, they they're they're shoplifters, and uh, and you. For the majority of the movie, you're just kind of seeing them exist together. Um, early on, you see them get this little, like, five- or six-year-old girl into their family who they basically abduct, but 
kind kind of. I mean, she you could tell that she was in an abusive home and it was not a good situation, and so they just kind of take her in, and realizing they probably shouldn't, but also realizing it's probably a better situation for her. Um, and then you just kind of see them live, and um, which was, I mean, a lot of foreign films have these have these just extended periods of just seeing people exist in everyday life, which always are fascinating um, as you see just kind of the characters develop. But then the twist and the turn it takes at the end um, is is really, really gripping and really, really uh, well done. And uh, as you really understand exactly what's going on here, um, because it, it doesn't explain much until you get to about the hour and a half mark. And then the last half hour is is amazing. Uh, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, it's a it's a great movie. Uh, if you have a chance to find it, uh, go see Shoplifters. Just three and a half. That's upsetting. That that it's the best movie of 2018, and the, that movie took me. And I yeah, I'm never forgotten it. Yeah, that but, I, I, I. It's one I definitely wouldn't mind watching again, but uh, but yeah, three and a half for now. It might it might move up as I go along. But yeah, that last half hour, man. It, that I could see how that that could shake you like that. It's pretty crazy. I know Zach agrees at least. No, I, I probably am a little closer to Terry than I am to Todd. I, I thought it was a really good movie. I don't think it was quite deserving of all the praise that it got. Uh, I really like the director Hirokazu Koreeda, so I, I'm I'm biased by that a little bit. I've, I've liked some of his other films better, but it is a really solid movie. I agree. All right. Well, with that. We have uh, we've reported on what we had to watch. Now let's talk about our uh, our trivia game. Todd is hosting because he just kind of schools both of us whenever we do any trivia. Well, no, so, I, uh, I hadn't won trivia in forever. I, I but I finally won one of these trivia's, not just like the movie trivia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell us what we're doing here. Okay, I have three different categories. Uh, not necessarily, but kind of related to stuff we talked about. I'm not sure how you guys want to do it. If you guys want to do one at a time, or you want to go alternate, you guys can decide. I'll let you do it. So, what, is it like a list? Uh, I have three different uh, lists. One is 11 uh, options, one's 12, and one's 13. So... So, so do we want to... So you're asking, do we want to do one at a time, or do we want to alternate? Yeah. Um, no, I'd, I'd say alternate. But yeah, it's just let's just alternate. Okay, so I will give you points for every one that you get. Uh, but if the category is finished, then there's just no points awarded because that'd be kind of ridiculous. Okay. Okay. Uh, so well, wait, didn't you say I, there's odd numbers in each one though? Eleven, twelve, and thirteen. So t- two of them, yeah, have odd numbers. Okay. Well, whatever. All right, let's do it. Okay. Uh, I guess I can relate them to other... So, uh, we're all looking forward to The Irishman, so uh, I'm going to look at Al Pacino <laughs> movies that have been nominated for an any Oscar. There are 11 of them, which I was surprised that there were only 11. Uh, so yeah, it could be Best Picture, it could be Best Song, it could be anything, but uh, there are only 11 Al Pacino movies that have been nominated for Oscars. And okay, wait, wait, exact... wait, 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 say Al Pacino movies? Al, yeah, movies Al Pacino has acted in. Okay. 
The Godfather. Uh, so Zach is going first. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and says The Godfather. Okay. Uh, the Godfather Part 2. That is correct. Godfather Part 3. That is also correct. Bam! Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. That is correct. Scent of a Woman. Correct. Serpico. Correct. Uh, Injustice for All. Correct. Glenberry Glen Ross. That is correct. Uh, uh, Dick Tracy. That is correct. Uh, um, Heat. That is incorrect. Oh, I felt like so it Zach, might have gotten something. Zach can keep going if he wants to. The Insider. Oh, that's correct. Crap. Um, there's only one remaining. Uh, is it, is it the cruising? That's not cruising. Cruising is worst not movie. Correct. <laughs> uh, the other one was Donnie Brasco. It was nominated for best adapted oh. screenplay. Oh gosh. I thought Heat might have gotten like a tech nomination. Yeah, it probably should have. <laughs> so Zach is in the lead by two points. Uh, so the next category we are going to is. Uh, acting performances, uh, uh, actors or actresses who have been, uh, who won their Oscar for their first two performances, or first two nominated performances. Wait, so, say that again? Say that again. So, an, <laughs> actors or actresses who were not, who won for their first two performances that were nominated for Oscars. So we're two for two for their first two nominations. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. Oh. Hey, that's Who starts this time? I start. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, right. Well, yeah. I guess you can spit it out like at the last one, but yeah, we could go Terry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is correct. Glenda Jackson. That is not correct. Oh, really? Right. Uh, there are eleven more choices for Terry. Oh boy. Um, okay, okay, I gotta think here. Uh, Kevin Spacey? What Glenda Jackson nominated for? You say Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Um, oh, goodness. I don't know if I'm gonna even have any more. Uh, De Niro? No, that's wrong. That's not. That's not correct. Yeah, he was nominated for Raid, or for so, uh, Deer Hunter. So Terry gets two points. Uh, one, you guys. Sally Field. Probably, yeah. Sally Field is correct. Uh, the one you probably should have gotten was Mahershala Ali. Oh uh, gosh. Oh <laughs> yeah. You got Hillary Swank, Jason Robards, Helen Hayes, Anthony Quinn, Vivian Lee, Walter Brennan, Spencer Tracy. Not Spencer Tracy, Betty Davis, okay. and Louise Rayner. But yeah, Mahershali probably should have been sad. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. So the, it is now tied. Terry, Terry got two. Zach got zero. So 
Now we are going to our last category, which are 13 possibilities. And since we are talking about the Joker and its Oscar possibilities, we are going with the top 13 R-rated Best Picture nominees in the box office. So, uh, this is... Uh, so, number one has 360,000, or uh, 360 million at the box office, and uh, the 13th has 150 million, so we are... So just movies that, movies, R-rated movies nominated for Best Picture that grossed over 150 million? Yeah, at the box office, domestically. Okay. So, a little, yeah, a little abstract thought there for you, Terry, when your eyes rolling in the back of your head um, <laughs> so i'll let zach go first on this one you could start whenever you want to uh american sniper american sniper is number one number one wow okay i didn't necessarily realize that um oh gosh uh I'm gonna go. American Beauty. That is not on the list. So Zach wins. Uh, do you have any others you can name? Gladiator. Gladiator is number five. I should have said that one. Yeah. Uh, what about Get Out? Is that did that make? Get Out's list? number seven. Uh, Shakespeare in Love? That probably didn't make it. That's not on the list. Braveheart? Yeah, Braveheart would be a good one. Braveheart is not on the list. Wow. Um, okay, the others that were on here are The Exorcist is number two, uh, Saving Private Ryan, A Star is Born, The Revenant, uh, Rain Man, Django Unchained, Fatal Attraction, Mad Max Fury Road, Jerry Maguire, and American Hustle. That was a horrible category. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty brutal. I think that was a great category. You guys just didn't. We just suck at your, box office. Ra- yeah, you ra- didn't wrap your mind around. Well, I, American Sniper. He had the number one. I thought That's I true. was like, okay, this is actually going to go well. And then no. Uh... It's because we were talking about Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah. One I said last podcast that American Sniper was the best or the biggest hit of his whole career. So. That's true. So Zach gets to assign us something to watch. Yeah, he does. Sweet. Two for two today. Dang it. That's how we do it. All right. Well, let's wrap this up uh, with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Zach, to the victor go the spoils. Okay, so my quote of the day comes from Adam Daly's blog entry on the Almost Sideways blog from September 24th, 2014, when he wrote his article, Top Movie Heroes and Villains. And uh, I want to quote what he said about villains. Quote, for villains, it comes down to this. Be memorable. You must be devoted to your craft and present a challenge to the hero. Being scary, maniacal, and completely insane is always a plus. Exclamation mark. And that's it. That's the way I feel about this podcast. Being scary and maniacal and completely insane is always a plus. <laughs> Shout out to the Red and Brown podcast. 
Todd, what's your quote? <laughs> All right, my quote comes from uh, Burn After Reading, uh, Brad Pitt's character. And I, I feel like it could describe this podcast, but at times not. Uh, so at one point, he's sitting in front of his computer. He's like, oh, this is some heavy shit. I can't believe this shit. This is, like, intelligence shit. And that's all I got. <laughs> I may have to watch Burn After Reading tonight. I mean, oh, that movie's so good. All right, so my quote, uh, my quote comes from the TV show House, uh, because it's just great. And uh, it's a conversation that happens between uh, Dr. House and Dr. Wilson. And, uh, and Wilson looks at House and says, that smugness of yours really is an attractive quality. And House says, thank you. It was either that or get my hair highlighted. Smugness is easier to maintain. <laughs> that was a great show. It was a great show. That was one of the best characters. I mean, how many times did he win like three Golden Globes in a row for that? Something like that. Something like that. Or, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't as good as Boy Meets World, though. No, yeah, no, Boy Meets World, yeah. Frankie Stacchino, that's the greatest show ever. But <laughs> House is awesome. House is awesome, yeah. And El Camino, of course. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, all right, well, uh, that will bring our podcast to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you found us on iTunes, make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com. Find us on Facebook. Find Zach and I on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handles are in the show notes at the in the description there. Uh, we will be back in a couple weeks with a deep dive into Taxi Driver, right? Isn't that what we decided? Or yeah, Jackie yeah. Brown. Or Jackie yeah, or Brown. R.I.P. Zach, Zach, do you want to get? Do you want to give Forrester. a minute to Robert Forster? Oh, uh, sure. He was an awesome actor. Just see Jackie Brown or Alligator. He's great in that too so we might we might be look we'll be looking at one of those two we haven't decided exactly which one yet but not uh, alligator not alligator jackie brown or or taxi driver but uh and, and we'll let you know until then have fun watching movies despite your crass behavior i'm glad we were able to do this together